I think it's appropriate as we are uh, reflecting on the Lord's Supper today and what it means that we spend some time reflecting on Jesus' death and looking at a passage um, that deals with his death. As you know, uh, the four Gospels in the New Testament, Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John, all record uh, different perspectives in some way of the story of Jesus. Uh, In Luke 23, we see Jesus actually on the cross. Many of you know, and we're going to talk about this more in just a few minutes, that the night leading up to that, Jesus was having the Passover meal with his disciples, and while he was having the Passover meal, he explained to them what they had been doing for centuries, some of the elements of that meal, how it actually pointed to that moment of what he was going to do on the cross and what he was going to do a few days later in rising from the dead. And we're going to talk more about that in just a moment. But then, uh, over the night and into the next day, we know that Jesus was arrested and then later crucified after he was beaten. And in Luke chapter 23, we're going to begin in verse 32. While Jesus was hanging on the cross, Luke gives us a description of what that moment looks like. And I'm going to wait just for a moment while I, uh, before I read. I want to give folks time to, to get in the passage here. Luke chapter 23, beginning in verse 32. And again, the setting is Jesus being crucified. It says, Two others, criminals, were also led away to be executed with him. When they arrived at the place called the Skull... They crucified him there along with the criminals, one on the right and one on the left. And then Jesus said, Father, forgive them because they do not know what they are doing. And they divided his clothes and cast lots. The people stood watching, and even the leaders were scoffing. He saved others. Let him save himself if this is God's Messiah, the chosen one. The soldiers also mocked him. They came offering him sour wine and said, If you're the king of the Jews, save yourself. An inscription was above him. This is the king of the Jews. Then one of the criminals hanging there began to yell insults at him. Aren't you the Messiah? Save yourself and us. But the others answered, but the other answered, rebuking him. Don't you even fear God, since you are undergoing the same punishment? We are punished justly, because we're getting back what we deserve for the things we did. But this man has done nothing wrong. Then he said, Jesus, remember me when you come into your kingdom. And he said to him, truly I tell you, today you will be with me in paradise. And it was... Now about noon, and darkness came over the whole land until three, because the sun's light failed. The curtain of the sanctuary was split down the middle, and Jesus called out with a loud voice, Father, into your hands I entrust my spirit. And saying this, he breathed his last. When the centurion saw what happened, he began to glorify God, saying, This man really was righteous. All the crowds that had gathered for this spectacle 
when they saw what had taken place, went home, striking their chests. But all who knew him, including the women who had followed him from Galilee, stood at a distance watching these things. Let's pray together. Father, as we reflect back on what Jesus did for us some 2,000 years ago, Lord, I pray in these moments we will consider not only what he did, but why he did them. Uh, Lord, as we reflect on our spiritual relationship with you, Lord, help us to not only see things that may be standing in the way of our relationship, but Lord, help us all to ask, are we in Christ? Are we in the faith? Do we have that relationship? Be with the next few moments. We ask these things in Jesus' name. Amen. Well, a few weeks ago, um, my wife was driving the kids back from a trip, and uh, I got a, a text from her that said we need to get our steering checked out, our steering wheel. And we had been having a few issues with our van and some of the steering problems, and so I did like anybody did when you have any trouble like that. I immediately went to Google, and I started typing in issues to see if there were some known uh, things with the van that uh, other people were complaining about this issue. And as I began to Google, I saw a lot of people with this van seemingly had the same problem. So I immediately thought, well, if this is an issue, maybe the, the company uh, up at corporate, maybe they're aware, maybe they're doing something about it. And so I, I began to get hopeful, especially when I saw an article that said that the particular uh, year and the particular model that we had had a recall about the steering. Now, I wasn't hopeful necessarily about the recall, but I was hopeful uh, that we would be able to get this problem fixed. And so I just knew right away, yeah, this is going to be no problem. This is going to be covered. It's going to be taken care of. And I was excited. And I began reading the article thinking, yeah, this is exactly our issue. This is exactly what's going on. And as I kept reading, I kept reading. I got to the fine print of the details of the recall, and it said that the recall was only for, yes, for the van of that particular year and model, but only for ones that had a particular feature that ours didn't have. And I thought, that just goes to figure, right? So our, our van wasn't covered, even though I thought it was. Even though I was getting hopeful and I was getting excited, there was something in there, in the fine print. And once I knew it, once I read it, I was sure now that it wasn't covered. You know, I think in life, there are a lot of people who go through life just assuming and just thinking that they're going to get to heaven. They go through life thinking, well, I, I'm covered. I'm going to go to heaven. I'm going to have eternal life. And they have a lot of reasons for thinking that. Maybe they're a good person. Maybe they go to church. Maybe they're involved with religion. Maybe their parents were. Maybe their grandparents were. And they think, hey, I've got it covered. But if, if they would just stop and read the fine print, maybe today if you would stop and read what God's Word actually says, you would find out that, no, you're not headed for heaven. Now, I have good news for you today, that the Bible tells us that anyone who wants to go to heaven can, but it's on God's terms. Not our terms, it's on God's terms. So let us look today at what God's Word says. I've entitled the message this morning, Who Will Be Saved? 
Who will be saved? And this is an important question because certainly for all of us, uh, we want to go to heaven. We want to have eternal life. But finding the answer to that, ignoring what's in the Bible isn't the solution. Twisting what's in the Bible isn't the solution. Making something up in our minds about you know, what we think is true is not the solution, but rather we have to look at what God's Word actually says. And what's happening in these moments that we look at at Luke 23, Jesus is dying on the cross, but I want to rewind just for a moment and think about why He's up there. The Bible is very clear that Jesus, when He came into the world being born of a virgin, that Jesus is fully God and fully man. The Bible is very clear in Philippians 1 that Jesus was not created, that Jesus came into the world and he lived a sinless life that none of us could live. And the reason Jesus came and lived this life was because he came with a mission, he came with a purpose, and that was to take the penalty for our sins. When Jesus died on the cross, the Bible is clear, and you can even see it in in some of the comments being made about Jesus in this passage, that Jesus did not deserve to die that death, but rather we did. The Bible says that every single one of us have sinned. We've all disobeyed God. And because of that, the Bible says because we've, we've rebelled against the greatest authority possible, we deserve the greatest punishment possible. The Bible also tells us that punishment, the wages of sin, is death, and not just a physical death, but separation from God and eternal punishment in hell. But the good news is that Jesus came and did this act of mercy, of love, of grace, of kindness for us so we can be saved. But I want to make it clear this morning that just because Jesus died on the cross does not mean now, automatically, everyone gets to go to heaven. That's why it's so clear that we look, look at the Bible. It's so important that we look at the Bible and see what it says. Are we saved? Who will be saved? What are the requirements that God gives us to be saved? And so I want to look at that a little bit uh, this morning. Now, when we think about salvation, look here at this passage just for a second. I think it's so interesting. There were people taunting Jesus and mocking him. But some of the things that they said, like, for instance, in verse 35, look at one of the the ways they mocked him. He saved others. Let him save himself if this is God's Messiah, the chosen one. On down, uh, you look at verse 37. They say, if you are the king of the Jews, save yourself. Verse 39, aren't you the Messiah? Save yourself and us. Over and over, part of their taunting was, hey, Jesus, save yourself. Can't you do it? Save yourself. But what the people didn't realize is that had Jesus saved himself, then we couldn't be saved. And what's so interesting about that is Jesus was the only one who was really deserving to be saved. He could have saved himself, but instead he gave of himself so we could be saved, so we could have the opportunity to go to heaven, to have eternal life. And so the question remains, who will be saved? Who are these people? And as I look at the different types of of people who were present there at the scene of the cross, I see at least three groups, three types of people, three attitudes toward Jesus. 
couple of those we're going to see are the wrong attitudes, but one in particular, one attitude we're going to see is the right one. And we want to look at the wrong ones, but also, importantly, we want to look at the right one to see who will be saved. Now look at verse 35. There was a particular group of people, it says, the people stood watching, and even the leaders, it said, were scoffing. Even the leaders. Now who were the leaders? Now these leaders were really the ones who were the leaders of the Jewish faith. You know, the Pharisees, those people who a lot of people looked up to, uh, they were to know and, and did know the Old Testament scriptures better than anyone else. And they were supposed to be looking for and seeing the signs for the Messiah, but yet they had twisted the Old Testament scriptures so much so and were, were looking to their own teaching so much rather than what God actually says that they got to the point that they couldn't see the Messiah standing right in front of them. They had made their religion all about them, and really, in a lot of ways, they were banking purely on their religion. And what's so crazy is, in the midst of all of this, they were mocking Jesus, and the things that they were saying about Jesus to mock him were absolutely true. They just didn't believe it. You know, they said, he saved others, let him save himself. If this is God's Messiah, the chosen one, he was and is God's Messiah. He is the chosen one. It was coming out of their mouths, yet they didn't believe it because their salvation, uh, or so they thought, was based on their religion. It was based on what they thought. It was based on their righteousness. And there are people still like this today with this attitude. They know the claims of Jesus. They know what Christians believe in some ways. They might even speak some of the same lingo. But yet they actually don't believe Jesus is the only way to salvation. We talked about this in Sunday school this morning, and it's so crucial that knowing about Jesus is very different than actually knowing Jesus. Knowing about Jesus is very different than actually trusting in Jesus. You think the devil knows about Jesus? Oh, he knows about him. But he doesn't trust in him. He's not going to. So we see this first attitude of someone who will not be saved. Those who are self-righteous will not be saved. Those who are dependent upon themselves for righteousness, those who are dependent maybe on their own religion, those who are looking to other means of of self type of things to be saved, the Bible is clear they will not be saved. And so I want to ask you this morning, is this your attitude about salvation? Is this your attitude about the Lord? Are you trusting in yourself? Are you trusting in your religion? Are you trusting in your good works? Are you trusting in uh, the fact that you're at church this morning to get you into heaven? There are a lot of people who hopes that their good outweighs their bad and that God's going to somehow overlook their sin because of the good things. The Bible tells us that God will punish sin, and that's shown most clearly through Jesus dying on the cross. There are a lot of people who hope that their reputation or popularity will somehow win them favor with God. There are a lot of people who hope that maybe an office or some type of role in a church uh, or maybe even just being on a membership list will win them favor with God. The Bible shows us clearly that we cannot, we will not be saved by any of these things. 
And so if this is you today, I, I want you to heed this warning that we look at from Scripture. You are in danger of spending eternity in hell because those who are self-righteous will not be saved. That is not how we're saved. And there was this group of people there who were just consumed with this, but there was another group there that I noticed, and this group was the criminals. Now, in particular, as we'll notice in just a moment or as we've already read, one criminal had a very different attitude than the other one. But I want to look at the first one the Bible mentions in verse 39. Look at what he says. Then one of the criminals hanging there began to yell insults at Jesus. Here's what he said. Aren't you the Messiah? Save yourself and us. Now, I think it's interesting. This criminal was mocking Jesus. Aren't you the Messiah? Save yourself and us. But I think also while he was mocking Jesus and while he didn't really believe in Jesus... If Jesus would have done this, he would have happily taken this offer of get us off the cross. You know, if you can do something, save yourself, but save us too. Like, let me, let me see what you can do. And as I was thinking about this man's attitude, there are a lot of people in life who don't really trust Jesus, nor have they committed their lives to him. Yet somehow... They want and kind of expect Jesus to save them from punishment. You know, they don't want to give their lives over to Jesus. They just want to get out of hell. And that's what they're hopeful, that somehow that they will, Jesus will save them without any kind of love or devotion toward Jesus, any kind of care for anything of Jesus. And, and mo- many people simply want to claim Jesus or simply want to have the title of Christian to get out of hell. And I think it's so important that we understand that those just trying to escape punishment will not be saved. And you may say, well, well preacher, how do you know this? Well, uh, one example, 1 Corinthians 16, 22. The writer puts this down in the letter. If anyone does not love the Lord, a curse be on him. If anyone does not love the Lord, a curse be on him. You see, it's not enough just to say, I want Jesus to help me escape punishment. We have to submit our lives and our hearts to the Lord. We're called to love the Lord, particularly when we look to Jesus and what he did for us on the cross. That should stir our affections and make us say, I, I, I don't know how anyone could have that much love for me, but I don't know how I couldn't love anyone back who did something for me like that. That's what a Christian does. He submits his life. She submits his life over to the Lord. And so as we think about just, you know, the idea of escaping hell, certainly none of us want to go to hell. But in order to be saved, in order to be a Christian, there is more to it than just wanting to get out of hell. And that's where we come to this third attitude, this this other criminal there on the cross. Look at his response, beginning in verse 40. The other criminal answers, rebuking that criminal who was mocking Jesus. He says, don't you even fear God since you're undergoing the same punishment? I want to look at what he says right here in particular. We are punished justly because we're getting back what we deserve for the things we did. But this man has done nothing wrong. And then he said, Jesus, remember me when you come into your kingdom. 
Now, there are a couple of ideas present here in the statement that he makes. First, he realizes the nature of what they've done wrong and what they are deserving of. He said, while Jesus didn't do anything wrong, we're hanging here on this cross because we deserve it. We're the ones who've sinned. We're the ones who deserve this type of punishment, but he didn't. And you know, when we think about what it takes to be saved, this is the first, this is the first trait that it takes of someone who, who can be saved, and that is repentance. That's what we see here from this criminal hanging on the cross. He's starting to view his sin rightly, view it in a way that God would view it. And that's what we have to do. We have to realize that we've sinned before a holy God and we're deserving of any type of punishment that we could have come our way, but that Jesus wasn't, yet he died for us. Repentance is part of it, turning from our sin. But then look at what he said about Jesus. First he says, this man has done nothing wrong, and then he looks to Jesus and says, Jesus, remember me when you come into your kingdom. He places his faith solely in Jesus at that point. Solely in Jesus. And here we see that those who have repentance and faith will be saved. Those who have repentance and faith will be saved. Those who turn from their sins and put their trust in Jesus. You know what's remarkable about this criminal when he says this to Jesus? I'm not, I really don't know what the criminal expected Jesus to do at this point. But Jesus looks at him and he says, truly I tell you today you will be with me in paradise. He got way more than probably he could have ever imagined he wanted Jesus to remember him, whatever that looked like. But that day, he got to be with Jesus in paradise. And isn't that how salvation is? Like, we come to Jesus just admitting our sins and believing and trusting in him alone for salvation, and we get and we receive way more than we could ever realize, ever imagine, ever fathom when we place our faith and trust in Jesus. And the Bible is clear, not only in this passage, in this example, but it's clear uh, explicitly in other places that this is how you are saved. Romans 10.9 says this, If you confess with your mouth that Jesus is Lord and believe in your heart that God raised him from the dead, you will be saved. Now understand what this statement says. Jesus is Lord. It's not just acknowledging that Jesus is a God. It's not just acknowledging that, you know, Jesus is in charge of everything, but rather when you confess with your mouth that Jesus is Lord, you are saying he's your Lord. When I say Jesus is Lord, I'm saying he's my Lord. He's the one who runs my life. He's the one that I've submitted my life to that is in charge of what I do, that I'm going to obey. That is repentance. And then when you place your faith and trust in Jesus, and it says believe in your heart that God raised him from the dead, what happens? You will be saved. That is who is able to be saved. And here's the good news this morning. If you are thinking, if, you're, if it's going through your mind, Jesus would never save me. And you're thinking of any reason in the world that you can think of why you shouldn't be saved or why Jesus wouldn't save you. I want you to look back and think back to who we just saw Jesus save in Luke 23. 
a criminal who was deserving of the death penalty, a criminal who was at the lowest of the low, moments away from dying, who never had an opportunity to live for the Lord necessarily, who never had an opportunity to do anything but confess his faith in Jesus. And Jesus saved him. Listen, it doesn't matter if you're a teenager today, a child, or a senior adult, or someone who's just days away from dying. You can look back at your life and say, I, I wish I would have done all that differently. I wish I, I could have changed that. I wish I could have known Jesus sooner or whatever. Then maybe he would accept me. Listen, Jesus will accept you today. But you have to come to him in repentance and faith. And he will change your life. And I can tell you, if you have one day of your life left, it's way better to spend that one day living for the Lord, knowing, for, knowing the Lord, than it would be to be lost for all eternity. The Bible is clear. This is how we are saved. Jesus died for you, and while salvation isn't automatic, it's offered to anyone who wants to repent and trust Jesus. Is that you today? I'm going to ask you to bow your heads where you are. And as you're bowing your heads and reflecting on this story, I'm going to ask you a couple of questions. These are questions just for you. First, do you know without a shadow of a doubt, know for sure that if you were to die today that you would spend eternity with, with the Lord? And if your answer to that is no, I want you to know today that you can know if you repent and put your faith in Jesus. If your answer is yes, I'm going to ask you a second question. If, God's, if you stood before God when you die, as we all will, and God says, why should I let you into heaven? What would your answer be? As you're thinking about your answer today, if it has anything to do with good works, if it has anything to do with yourself, if it has anything to do with your religion, if it has anything to do with any of that, understand the Bible has made it clear that those answers are not what salvation is about. Today, you can know for sure that you're going to heaven. You can have a relationship with Jesus if you repent of your sins and trust in his death and resurrection alone for your salvation. And if that's you today, I want you to ask the Lord in your heart. Say, God, I'm sorry for my sins. Please forgive me. I believe Jesus died on the cross. I believe he came back to life. I believe he's coming again. I believe that he is King of kings and Lord of lords, as he said. And I want you to save me. If you pray that today and you really mean that, I want you to, in just a moment, we're going to have a hymn of commitment. I want you to come and join me down front. We would love to celebrate with you. I would love to talk with you. But as I know we're gathered here today in church, we have many people who have made this decision. As we get ready to partake in the Lord's Supper in just a few moments, at this moment, I want you to reflect on what Jesus did for you. And in this time of commitment, we should be drawn to thankfulness. We should be drawn to thinking about who we are because of Jesus and only because of Jesus. And so for every single one of us today, as we think about salvation, if you need to be saved, today is the day of salvation. If you are saved, let's be thankful. Father.
as we reflect on what Jesus did here for us, we are reminded that we cannot save ourselves. And while Jesus could have saved himself uh, on that cross, we're so thankful that he didn't, so we can come to know you, so we can be saved. Lord, we're thankful the story doesn't end with just death on the cross. We're thankful that he came back to life three days later. And we're thankful that he's coming again one day, and we're longing and looking for that day. But we know until that day comes that we still have the responsibility to preach the gospel, to respond to the gospel. And Lord, this morning I pray for someone here today who's maybe been banking on something else for their salvation, and as we've looked at the fine print of your word today, they have seen that they're not in the faith, and they need to be saved. I pray that today would be their day of salvation, that you would help them remove their pride and step out and come to faith in you. Be with this time of commitment. Be with this time of thanksgiving. We ask these things in Jesus' name. Amen.